Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. This is a show for the Nosabo kids, the, the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth, issues affecting the Latin community, and much more. Then every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community. Listen to Life as a Gringo on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people... It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh boy, welcome to It Could Happen Here, and it sure do feel like it's happening, don't it? Um, thank you for surviving that last uh, long, excruciating episode full of basically just like a bunch of hate speech that we were trying to be like, hey, doesn't this look, look like hate speech? This is bad. Um, maybe platforms like Spotify, uh, YouTube, other podcast hosting platforms that I am somehow forgetting the name of. But perhaps they shouldn't be hosting all of this Daily Wire content that is ex- that is explicitly calling for genocide. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As we host it. Anyway, um, I think it, it is interesting what the Daily Wire is trying to do here because they obviously saw What is a Woman, the documentary, the quote unquote documentary by Matt Walsh last year, get incredible traction online and boost their subscription service. So now they're they're, they're doubling down on this because this is how they're going to try to make content. Um, and they are trying out as many rhetorical styles and arguments as possible just to see what sticks. Like it, it really feels like they're just doing like the shotgun method of like throwing every single possible reason that trans people are icky up against the wall and seeing which one like catches on. Like they're doing the, they're doing a ban transgenderism entirely. What is a woman? Groomers. They can't be genocided because they don't exist. Attacking transgenderism as a cover for trans people. Right. So it's all these all these various, various tactics, all these different rhetorical strategies, calling them demonic. It's 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 very much trying to be like if we if we if we throw up as much stuff as possible, attacking and demonizing trans people, 
some of these trends will catch on online, right? Some of these will will catch on, will be spread to legislators. Eventually, something will stick, and that that is that is very much the tactic that they are trying to use. And I think this is a point I, I wanted to make last episode, um, but I think it, it's still it's 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 useful to hear now, kind of in retrospect. Everything, all of the like extremism that you heard in in the, the last episode, all of these like very very fascist talking points. This is what conservatism is now, right? Like this is the mainstream new right. Sure, you can call it fascist because by definition it it is, but sometimes that term, like fascist or fascism, it it carries with it this false sense of foreignness. It it has like this it has like this displacement in time, right? Most people view fascism as something that happens elsewhere or something that happened in the past. So by 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 just referring to this stuff as fascist, it creates a distance in people's minds. This 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 like um exotic improbability. But this stuff is like the mainstream conservative platform that the up and coming leaders of the conservative movement are trying to normalize. This was like the main talking point at CPAC, which is like the biggest conservative convention in the entire country. It is this stuff is is what the conservative platform is now. Um, and I think it is it is just as important to emphasize that this is what the modern conservative mainstream is. And it is it is it is just as important to say that as it is to tie it and tie this rhetoric to the history of fascism, because the Overton window is certainly accelerating. Right. Like this thing can both be heavily steeped in the history of fascist rhetoric and also be like the new up and coming version of the conservative right that the Daily Wire and its allies are trying to normalize. And I just think that that is, that is something that I that I am trying to focus on a little bit more when I when I'm doing my writing and, and my research in these topics um, is that we often will use terms like fascist because these things are <laughs> are are pretty fascist. And I, I want to make sure that doesn't like create this false distance in people's in people's minds when they when they think about these bills, when they and when they think about this rhetoric. Yeah, and, and I and I think I think the 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 way in which this is simply what the modern right is demands a different kind of response than a lot of what we've been seeing so far. Yeah, you can't simply try to catch them in their contradictions. You can't simply catch them in their hypocrisy. Every every tactic that liberals tried to use against Trump in the lead up to his election and even Republicans tried to use, those tactics aren't going to be successful here because they weren't successful back then. Like you can't you can't like outthink them in in that in that in that way. Well, but um, the reason that you like when you when you call out say the governor of Tennessee or whatever, lieutenant governor or whatever of Tennessee for about his hypocrisy and how he dressed in drag and stuff, it's not that uh, the thing that that does to defend it a little bit to that calling out is it doesn't make his supporters, it doesn't change his mind, it doesn't expose him as a hypocrite to his base, but it does expose him as a hypocrite to his enemies. Um, and I think it is worth understanding that our, the, the people who have declared us their enemies, it's worth understanding that they are not like um, morally consistent actors. You know, it is sure. worth understanding that they don't believe the things they are saying. A lot of their base does. Yeah. Um, but it, so I, I actually do think that there is a point. Um, all of the shit talk on Trump and or whatever, um, I think might be part of how Trump didn't get elected again is because he as he got more and more defensive, he looked more and more ridiculous, not to his base, 
but to uh, to the middle, which is basically the Democrats at this point. Yeah, it was able to recruit like a growing moderate oppositional force, which was what beat Trump. Trump was not beaten because people liked Biden. <laughs> he was beaten yeah. because they didn't like Trump. And I think you, you are you are right in having that. Be, that is a point to focus on. Um, I think it's it's important to to mention that like fascists do not believe in the absurdity of what they say. Um, it is it, yeah. that that is not necessary to to maintain fascism. Um, yeah. I, and I, I think I think so. The position that we're at right now is a very very strange one for the left, which is that we are in a position where, you know, when when, when the Republicans tried to run on this shit in 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 twenty twenty two, they got destroyed. Right. This it's, is this, this stuff yes. doesn't actually have mass popularity. This is what I wanted to talk about next. I, yeah. I have this. This yeah, is this is the, the very last section I have written is is on this topic because yeah, this off putting focus on like genocide and like the culture war stuff seemed to hurt conservatives in the last election cycle. Yeah, really and, badly. And yet again, they are they are they are still doubling down on it. Um, voters in some swing states were turned off by the focus on the regression of queer rights uh, instead of like actually addressing material conditions. This strategy, though, is a core concept of the fascist project, right? Instead of addressing material conditions under capitalism to improve people's lives, right-wing populists will conjure up this culture war boogeyman to blame all of like society's problems on and to, 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 to talk about the social war that is contributing to degeneracy. I also think that they're winning, unfortunately. Uh, not winning in a broader sense, but in terms of... Um... Yes, this is a very unpopular issue that they're doubling down on. But I think that, um, you know, I've I've seen studies where like a higher percentage of the U.S. population supports anti-trans stuff than did two years ago. Um, it's still a minority thing to hate trans people, but it is a growing minority. Um, yes, which is why like we're talking about how in a lot of ways it's easier to be trans in 2015 than it than it yeah. is now. Um, and and kind of on that point. I'm, I'm going to play the very final clip of Michael Knowles. We, we will never have to hear his voice again, hopefully. <laughs> his, his annoying little voice. Um, but I'm, I'm going to play a bit of a longer clip from him. Um, and this is from his initial like ban transgenderism entirely rant. And I'm only going to play this because he actually makes a point that we ourselves have made before when discussing this topic. The conservative right is desperately trying to play catch up, right? Us who believe in like liberation and freedom have been winning historically and yeah. the right's getting very scared and desperate. So in response, they're introducing all of these bills, right? And they're, and they're accelerating this types of eliminationist rhetoric. But in this clip, Michael Knowles provides us with our pathway to victory. We cannot simply hold our ground on these issues. We have to keep pushing forward because as long as we keep going forward and get on the offense, the right will be stuck playing a catch-up forever. And it reminds us of a truth in politics that Republicans all too often forget. You're either on offense or you're on defense. You're either making gains in the culture or you're losing ground in the culture. There's no standing still. There's no status quo. There's no neutrality. And what the conservatives have screwed up on for at least 50 years now, probably more, is the libs make some crazy aggressive play and then we try to dial it back by about 5 to 10%. Or worse, we try to slow it down by about 5 to 10%. So, so the libs 
attack the family through feminism, the fundamental political institution. They claim that men and women are basically the same. That takes the culture pretty far to the left, and then conservatives try to they try to inch it back a little bit, but not by the by the time they're even thinking about inching it back, the libs push forward with the normalization of other sexual practices. I, I agree with this position so far, yeah. And then oh, by the time the conservatives are trying to dial that back, the libs have, they've lurched much further to the left. They're trying to redefine marriage now. They say redefine marriage. Well, I don't know. I guess we could come to some kind of terms with a civil union. And by the time you say that, whoop, they've lurched even further to the left now. They're saying, actually, we've got transgenderism. Actually, now a man can become a woman. A man can become a woman. Okay, but but maybe we shouldn't do it to my, by the time we say that, whoop, oh my gosh, we're now, we're all the way off the screen because now they're trying to trans the kids. And there are many conservatives now who are saying, look, if you want, if you're a man and you want to put on a dress, that's fine, but just don't do it to children. Just don't make me pay for it. No. That is such an interesting little clip. No, I, I mean... It's funny because this is like kind of this is what I've been saying for a long time since about 2015 or so. Like looking at the rise of all this shit and you know Trump and all that is that we were winning culturally. I hate the the word culture war now means something different. It means arguing about guns or whatever. Um, But like we were winning on a cultural front very dramatically. Um, And like I would point to Steven Universe as the evidence that we are winning. Right? Um, You know. And then they basically had to play to their strengths. And he's talking about it. He's like, look, the, the, it's funny that so much of this is happening on a cultural front because it is not a conservative strength. Um, they, they have some cards in their hand when it comes to, to cultural stuff, you know, the anti-modernity stuff uh, when it w- does weird anti-Semitic, um, you know, almost anti-capitalism or whatever. That's like a strong card they like pulling out all the time. But conservatives yeah. overall are not very good at the cultural thing. What they're good at is politics and violence. Um, and so they're playing to their immediate strengths as hard and fast as they can because they're on their back foot. Yeah, no, they are they are they they're defaulting to advocating physical violence and enforcing their worldview with violence and advoc- and doing stuff on like the political legislative front. Yeah. Because they've realized just screaming about trans people isn't enough. They have to actually start dedicating millions and millions and millions of dollars to pushing these through state legislative cycles, which is why the Daily Wire has spent the past month and a half harping on this so hard as the legislative cycle for twenty twenty three is starting to like ramp up. Yeah. And I, and I, I, th- I think there's another thing here, which is the sort of fundamental disparity, you know, the, the fact that they've chosen this front, right. There, there's a fundamental disparity in what they have to do versus what we have to do. Right. And, and this, this, this is a giant sort of shift in, in a way that I, I don't think has, we don't, I don't think the left really has much experience with, right. Which is like the thing that is happening in the U S right now is that we are the silent majority. Like the, the, yeah. the, this is this is true when when like consistently over and over again when you when you look at polling on these issues, right? Like just regular people are like, "What the fuck are you guys doing?" Right. Yeah. The problem is that you know we haven't those people haven't been mobilized, and you know it do, it doesn't matter if you're a majority as long as these sort of like you know because because again like who who the actual majority is in the US or like who actually what 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 actual regular people believe has very very little impact on the kinds of policies that are that are that are sort of enacted but, but you know but there, there's a second sort of issue here right which is the conservatives have like be, be because of the fact that we are right now the sort of silent majority that we have a kind 
of I guess you know the Gramscian thing would be like hegemony, right? But like we we have we have an advantage in just how average people behave, right? They have to kill us. They have to fucking kill us. They have to make it illegal for us to exist. And they could do this, right? There there is a there is a real there is a real possibility that they can win, right? They they are winning on this rent right now. This is this is what they are you know in the places where they have power. This is what they are doing. All we really have to do is survive because if, if we survive and we're able to stop them, you know, I mean, even if we don't get sort of like Argentina style, like we're going to have like, like hiring mandates for trans people, right? Like even if we just hold the ground that we already have, we will win inevitably, right? Like the, 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 the sort of march of, of where, of where the culture has been going will favor us trans people will be able to sort of exist in public trans people will be able to survive unless they kill us right now and that's 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 sort of that's the sort of the, the key thing that that Knowles has realized right is that this is the critical moments where either we win and we and trans people get to continue our lives or they kill us i w- i would argue that it's not just kill us i think that even though we're listening to all this uh, exterminationist rhetoric I think that the odds are that most of these people don't actually envision a future where they're like rounding us up and putting us in camps and gassing us. Yeah. I think that overall it's a drive back into the closet. I actually I actually take them at their word that they want to destroy transgenderism. And if transgender people have to die along the way, that's on us. But if we, you know, put on appropriate clothing and shut the fuck up, yes. like I actually think that that would suit them just fine. And so I, I, I actually I think do think they have to kill transgenderism. I, I think I, that's true now, but I, I, I don't know how true that is as they keep actually having to implement but their... they don't think being trans actually exists though, right? Like they, they think it just is people doing these things. So as right. long as trans people are, are able to, for one, maybe even not even realize they're trans, two... Yeah. Like repress that and just live their lives as if they were a cis person. That 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 is all the, that that's what conservatives think trans people already are. And I think that that is a large part. That is a large large part of it is making us just not able to be trans in public life at all in in any yeah. capacity. I, I I think that's true, but I I don't I don't think they can. I I don't think their political path allows them to maintain that position. Like I I don't I don't think they can. Like I like. You know, one one of the things that's happening with with the right right now is they're 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 doing this feedback loop, right? Where they get, you know, like like where where they're they're sort of media people, right? Are are continuously radicalized by their base, and their base radicalizes them back. And I I I don't I don't think they can maintain an equilibrium position that doesn't involve like we have to hunt all these people down to make sure they don't go after our kids. Like I I you know I don't I don't think they're gonna I don't think they're doing that now. I don't think they're even planning that now. But it's it's I don't know how they can keep up this cycle without eventually getting to something like that? Well, it's worth it's worth being prepared for that type of possibility. But the kind of thing that I feel like really strongly about with all of this is to like really not, like the sky is falling, but it's not falling the way that we sometimes say it is. And, and when we say the sky is falling in a way that people look around and are like, ah, oh, this is not how the sky is falling to me. Then people get like, well, actually, I think you all are being hyperbolic, right? Yes. And, and so I think that we do need to be really clear that they are open to the possibility of mass murdering us. Um, and they are actively discussing individual acts of violence being very justified against us. But currently, I believe the thing that they are trying to do is eradicate the 
concept of being trans as a thing you can do in American society. Um, and of course, like there's a lot of people who believe in death before detransition and all fucking power to, I, I don't even know where I fall in all this shit. I'm not trying to, I literally don't want to opine about it because I don't want to give anyone, I don't want to tell anyone what to do about that shit, right? Everyone yeah. makes their own decisions about closeting, not closeting based on their own uh, positions, you know? Um, but I, I think we do have to be like careful about it. And I think one of the reasons is because from my point of view, um, they have picked trans people, not because they care so much about us, but because we're a wedge issue. Uh, you know, we saw this in like, um, actually, I don't want to name them because I don't want to get uh, whatever, like different uh, large coalitions of LGBT people were perfectly willing to drop the T 20 years ago. If in order to get certain like equal rights shit passed, they just like straight up like trans people did all this fucking work organizing for this shit. As soon as it got to like higher up level in the government, they were like, oh, trans people, that's going to be a problem. We're going to take them off of there. Right. And, um, you know, and because we are a wedge issue and we, always have been. And I think the Nazis used us in a very similar way. Um, but even within us, there's trans, sorry, there's wedge issues within that. And so sports was the first wedge issue. I actually believe, I, I was reading this earlier, but I wasn't reading it for this, so I didn't take notes. Um, I believe that the majority of Americans do not believe that trans people should be able to compete um, in high school sports based on their preferred gender Um I, I, I'm under the impression that that is a minority position to be trans supportive of trans athletes in, in school. Um, and so that is the wedge issue that they used to open up this divide in order to then come at us. But we're still just a wedge issue. And one of the reasons I think it's so important for people to understand us as a wedge issue is so that people understand like really clearly that they are not fucking stopping with us. Um, you know, this is like absolutely about like, you can hear it in that guy talking like, cause one of the other things he's talking about is he's talking about like women need to get back in the kitchen and be obedient to their husbands and shit. And yes. one of the reasons that trans people scare them so much is because we like, like, it's so funny. Cause like largely by and large, like trans men are left out of this discussion and trans women are seeing these like evil monsters or whatever. Right. But yeah. trans men are absolutely part of it uh, because ma massive, it's massive threat. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's stealing women from them. It is stealing their fucking wives that they want to have. They want to fucking own women. And like, so they can't handle the idea of anyway, whatever. I'm no, not a, a lot of, a lot of the things they get so mad about is when they see a young trans guy on TikTok and they're like, look, at, sorry, th this is going to mm -hmm. be like gross, but like, look at this potentially beautiful woman who's yeah. now been ruined. Like, yeah. which is horrible, horrible, horrible. And save gross. the titties. Right, like, but that is. Yeah. But we have so many grown men like thirsting yeah. over fourteen-year-old like AFAB people who are who are deciding that hey, maybe I want to start HRT, maybe I want to use different pronouns, maybe I want to have yeah. a binder, and this they get so so mad at that. And I think a a big part of not not simply I think I I think it is truly not enough just to hold our ground. We have to keep going forward. And a big yeah. part of that is having more intersectionality with trans masculine people. Uh, a big part of that is having a, a much, much more of a focus on gender non-conforming people and non-binary people, um, because we have we have to keep pushing it forward. We cannot simply hold our ground on this, because if if we simply hold our ground, they can pull the rug from from under us. Um, really and I think that is that is that is a, a massive part of this. And I think I, I do believe that we will win. I, I fundamentally do, because if, if you look at 
if you look at like the rates of which young people, Zoomers, and even the, the, the generation younger than Zoomers, I, I do not know what they're called. Um, but if you look at the amount, amount of amount of us who are who who self-identify as non-binary, trans, or gender non-conforming, it is so much bigger than any previous generation. Once people once people experience a form of freedom, it is hard to take that freedom away. There are yeah. so many people who are entering their teens and are realizing they can be so much more free and they don't need to be limited to these weird draconian, like dualistic notions of gender. And that's amazing. If you look at a, a whole new wave of like actors and actresses and people in the entertainment industry, all, almost all of them are non-binary. Like the person who plays Ellie in the in the the Last of Us is trans. Um, oh, really? Tra- I I I, be- I believe they identify as trans, uh, non-binary, or some Fuck form him. of of gender queer. But this is they something sort of that, like, like play Ellie like that too. Anyway, I just oh, like abs- this. no, yeah. absolutely. But yeah. this is something that that keeps happening. We are going to win this because there's so many of us. Yeah, and we know that it rules to exist like this and we're not going to let them take it away. And I think that is, that is a big part of, of not only standing our ground, but continuing to move forward with the confidence that we will win in the long run. Yeah. And I think that we can, um, and I think that like a lot of the stuff, including myself, right. Um, I, I'm famously armed. I'm someone who, you know, believes in, in self-defense and, um, and all of these things. Right. Um, but I think that we always need to like focus on our strengths when it comes to being, especially on the offense, right? And so when I think about like strategizing, how do we win? The stuff that you're talking about, about staying on the offensive makes so much sense. And I think that uh, to misquote the art of war, you attack your enemy where they are weak and you are strong, you know? Um, and so like, and they are weak at cultural creation. And I don't mean culture wars and culture war issues or no, whatever, like, right? Like, like art but and like, creativity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so like we win because we say, because our ideas are good. And when we express them, people are like, oh, that sounds sick. I want to be free, right? Yeah. Um, now at the same time, we need to shore up our weaknesses. And I think our weaknesses at the moment are in the political sphere, which we're at a, on a, a back, we're on the back foot right now because of all the, I, I, I guess, I don't track this stuff as much, but like all the judges and shit that got put yes. in under Trump. And we are also not at our strongest. I'm not trying to like call us weak here, but like far few of us, fewer of us are like weird gun nuts and like, no, yeah. you know, f- militant strategy protecty type people. And I we've seen us shoring up that weakness and that rules. But I think it's always important, maybe not always, maybe there would be a time when this would shift. But overall, I don't think that's our strength. That's not where we go on the offense. That is where we stay like protecting ourselves. Yes. Um and no, drag I mean, defense, I, like, like yeah. drag defense, queer defense, that has defense in the name. Exactly. And it, is, it is crucially important. Exactly. It, it, it also terrifies the fascist right. Yeah. The, the fact, yeah. the fact that like a, like that a 140 pound twink can carry an AR and defend a drag show <laughs> yeah. terrifies fascists. It, it <laughs> yeah. utterly like destroys their brains. You know, force equalization is a hell of a thing. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> the pe- the uh. trigger pull is two and a half pounds. <laughs> yeah, you know what else is a forky force equalizer? Swords. The, the, for- the force of advertising. Oh.
Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And pole arms. As as long as we don't have an ad for Rabbit Air, who has an office in Pasadena, California, <laughs> I'm I'm fine. So I think if you've listened to the show a lot, you, they're they're one of the sort of sub themes of a lot of the writing that I do is thinking about what we owe the dead. And on the face of it, it's a sort of nonsensical question, right? You can't have any kind of reciprocal relationship with someone who's dead because, well, you know, they're dead. And this this question, this question of what we owe the dead is a question born of grief, of a kind of sort of raw and immaculate anguish that comes to the memory of people who are like you in every way except that you're here and they're not. And this was written, you know, this was written several weeks ago the people this is written for aren't even the same people that, you know, that, 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 like that, that is for now, right? The question in some sense becomes what do we owe the people who have died and were thus denied to live the, denied the chance to live the lives that we do? You know, what, what do we owe them? What do we owe these people that we failed to keep alive? And this has an answer. This has, this has a very, very definite political answer. We owe them the destruction of the world that killed them. We owe them a future that we owe them the future that they should have had, and we owe them 
we we owe them a world where they never take another one of this another one of us again. The world is already fucking burning. It is time to start the counterfire. Now, one one of the things that you that you will hear a lot, and this this is this has been this has been one of the sort of dominant responses, for better or for worse, from how people are thinking about these laws, is that these laws, you know, the, these anti-trans laws are unconstitutional. And that does not matter. That does not matter for shit, right? Oh, like, oh, oh, our old friend, the Constitution. <laughs> like, I, I just, I just, I need, I need everyone to understand that the ability of the Supreme Court to strike down a law is not in the Constitution. None of this shit matters. They're making all of it up. The only thing that actually matters is power. And to, to understand why the law is about power and, you know, and, and why legality is not actually a, a, a tool that we can rely on, I want to, I want to tell the story. I, I'm not sure if I've told this story on, 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 this, on this podcast before, but I, I want to tell the story of the worst mistake I ever made as an activist. So the year is 2017. Uh, Donald Trump's executive order 13769, colloquially known as the Muslim ban, has prevented people from Iran, Iraq, although they drop Iraq later, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen from entering the country. Now, almost immediately after the Muslim ban is announced, um, there is a spontaneous wave of airport occupations that sweeps the country. And these protests have two goals. Their immediate goal is to free the people who have been taken captive by immigration authorities before they can be deported. And the second goal is to end the Muslim ban more broadly. Um, this was this was actually my this was my first IRL direct action. Um, I you know I remember I, I was in this train car on the Blue Line to O'Hare, which is our our airport in Chicago, and you know I'm on this train and it's packed and everyone is completely silent, and you know everyone thinks people are going to get off, but as, as as we get to this airport, we we realize that the entire train is completely <laughs> full of protesters, like everyone yeah. on there is a protester, and it goes on. And on and on, and we get off the train, right? And we're walking through the airport, and and the the way this airport is structured is there there's like this overpass that you walk over where you can see the trains coming in, and every single train is full of protesters, and the trains keep coming and they keep coming and they keep coming, and you know every everyone and every time a train shows up, everyone starts cheering, and it is like it is you know like one of the most amazing things I've ever been a part of, and. You know, and we, we, we start moving and there are just, two, you know, this is a fucking, this is an airport, right? Like this is one of the most heavily policed places in the world. There are not enough cops to stop us. And, you know, they, they, they make this one token attempt to try to clear us and they can't do it and they pull back. And now we are holding the airport. And we do it. We beat them. We win. The airport releases the detainees. They've been, they've been negotiating with the ACLU. The ACLU have been trying to get them released. And the person, the person from the ACLU... Like go comes on the mic and and announced that they've they've released everyone and everyone cheers, and then, and then the person on the on the ACLU person on the mic says they're going to beat the Muslim ban in court, and everyone goes home. It takes a few hours, but by the end of it, everyone goes home. And here's the thing: the ACLU, several years later, lost that case to the Supreme Court. The Muslim ban continued the entire fucking Trump administration. Right? It wasn't repealed until Biden took office. We could have stopped it there, right? We we held that fucking airport. Every, like airports across the country and fucking like in st- dozens and dozens of states were being held by protesters, and we could have stopped them. 
but we didn't. And we didn't because we trusted the courts, right? We went home, we trusted the ACLU, and they lost. Because again, the law is not about the law, the law is about power. And millions of people suffer the consequences of that. And this is what's going to happen if we if we leave this fight to the courts. Either Either we actually sort of like stand up and actually fight, not in the courtroom, but in the streets, in schools, in salons, in shop floors, in the places where we have power or we are going to die. That is my intro to this, which is that we cannot, we literally, like, if we try to leave this to what, the people who have been acting right now, right, if, if we leave this to electoralists, if we leave this to sort of legal institutions, and if we purely fight self-defense battles, we are going to lose. Yeah. So the question from there is, how do we hit them back? And what, the, the thing that I specifically wanted to talk about first is I wanted to talk about this thing called power mapping. Now, okay, uh, the moment you the moment you say the word map around leftists, people immediately start talking about how the map is not the terrain, and that's true. True, like, base, it is true. Base. It is true. The map is not the terrain. They're different things. Don't yeah, don't but, confuse but both them. are useful. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. you still you want a map when you're hiking. Even though it's not actually the terrain. No. Smash yeah. the maps. Smash the maps. Walk the, <laughs> walk map the situation is practice. Walk around the city without a map. Mess up the maps. Sabotage the maps. Yeah, don't walk through the forest without a fucking map. <laughs> forest, yeah, that's going to get real The forest bad. is dispassionate and cruel and will kill you. <laughs> so... All right. So, what what is power mapping? So, there there is a normal version. There is a version of this that gets you know it's it's part of sort of like what I guess you would call like the liberal version of organizer training one hundred and one, which is this like pure NGO thing, which is you know I guess you could you could argue it's from like a Linz, like like from Solalinsky or whatever the fuck. Um and and this this version about it is this this version is about finding and pressuring quote unquote stakeholders. This is almost completely useless to us. It's largely politically bankrupt and tactically it is simply not going to work, right? Like th- there is some value in mapping out which specific like legislators and which specific governors are going to like sign bills, right? Yeah. But like, okay, NGO style pressure campaigns are not going to stop this. It, it, this is simply not going to work. Um, and the strategies that people have been employing to sort of stop this, right, which is, you know, relying on our suffering and our pain – and relying on medical expertise that that doesn't that doesn't work it simply yeah, does no, not sway it, them yeah. it the lacks a diversity people, of tactics yeah the only language people understand is power so okay having said all this we can strategically use other groups like ngos or sympathetic lawmakers to do their own pressure campaigns but that 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 is not what i'm talking about here we we can leave we can leave those people in their terrain they're paid to do it uh don't get sucked up into it but you know, and, and I will say, like, okay, sometimes very strategically, right? Like, you can you you can show up to people's events and embarrass them because you know who they are and what they're doing, and and that 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 can be useful sometimes. Like, I I I you know, social I know shame people, can be can be a, a, a useful tactic sometimes. Yeah, yes. like I I know I know people who've done union campaigns where like things have turned around when they like showed up to like some NGO person's fundraiser and are like, hey, you guys aren't paying us, and they're like, and everyone was like, oh my god, but. You know, what 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 are we what are we actually doing here? And what 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 I'm specifically talking about is power mapping in, in the context of direct action and in the context of sort of offensive direct action. And when when you're thinking about power mapping here, there's two kinds of mappings that are useful. One is physical mapping. And this is something that people don't do enough. I, I don't know why they don't do this more. 
But for example, one of one of the things that made the Hong Kong protest work is that Hong Kong had really, really detailed maps, right? They were, you know, they, they, they had apps for this that were very, very detailed maps of Hong Kong city streets. They would map where the police were. They would map where the police were moving to. They would map where protesters were. And, you know, obviously there are sort of security and tactical considerations to this, but if we know the terrain better than the police do, we can do a lot of things. This is this is something that people are successfully employing in the city of Atlanta. Yep, yep. And anyway, and this 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 is a thing where we have we actually do have an, a legitimate advantage in 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 large cities, which is that like the 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 cops who are in large cities are not from like those those cities, city, right? <laughs> you know, and, and, and I think I I think we squander this advantage a lot by just like like in in fucking Chicago, there's this one plaza. Right, like pretty close to Trump Tower, where every single protest starts, and that's like it's in the middle of fucking downtown. So I guess people sort of know the way around there. But like, I fuck nobody. Like nobody lives there who doesn't make like fucking seven hundred thousand dollars a year. Right, like you're you're, you're kind of squandering this whatever tactical advantage you have, and also you know, and, and and another sort of another reason to do mapping and stuff is is so you know you can you can plan things out ahead of time right you can plan out where your lines of retreat are you can yeah. figure out where choke points are so you don't get kettled a thing that like i swear to god no one who arranges a protest in the u.s fucking ever does <laughs> like i mean i know some people do it but like jesus christ you like, you, you can you can figure out on a map where you're gonna get kettled like you can do this yeah and you know, and, and you you can do other things too with maps, right? You can fu- you can figure out where the locations are of infrastructure that is particularly vulnerable. You can figure out what roads will will cause the maximum amount of sort of economic damage if you shut them down. You can fig- you know, you can figure out things like can you lure the police into places where they can't use their numbers very well, right? Can you spread them out over a hundred different areas, neutralize their effectiveness? And this is a kind of th- these are the kind of terms that we need to be thinking about in terms in, when when we when we're physically mapping and physically trying to understand an area. Which is that we need, we need to be thinking in very direct tactical terms. We need to figure out what kind of places, you know, and, and this also this also works defensively, right? We need to be figuring out, you know, okay, so we 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 have a drag show that's under attack, right? We need to, we need to figure out what kinds of places these people are attacking. We need to figure out how we can defend them, and we need to be thinking again in not not just like showing up to a place and being like, okay, we're here and these people are across the street, right? Like before that happens. And be, like be, 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 before a protest starts, before an action starts, there needs to be like work put in to make sure that what we're that the actions that we're doing are effective are as effective as possible. That so that that's sense. that yeah that, that 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 that's that's one part of this kind of mapping stuff. You know, if 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 you if you want more sort of inspiration for this stuff, there's a bunch of uh, Oh my god! I'm now forgetting the name of every book. I probably should have actually written the books in here. But there, there, the, you can some of the some of the Italian autonomists will talk about this stuff, and they have all of these like really wild sort of tactical stuff about like things you could do in a city. Like you can mess up stoplights. You can like I don't know. Like they 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 did a lot of stuff with like moving signs around. There's a lot of very weird things. Yeah. In a city that you can do that we don't think about because we've limited our tactical arsenal to like people show up at a place and yell. Yes. <laughs> stand stand outside of a building and yell at a building. <laughs> End of protest. Yeah, and that that, that yeah. doesn't work. Like we need to have tactics that are sort of like that are beyond that. And I I guess I guess part of the reason that I'm 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 starting here is that I I want people to 
like literally like go back very much to square one of thinking about what our response needs to be before we start moving because you know, I like, and I'm, I'm, I'm not this, this, this is not a sort of criticism of the people who've been doing drag defense. Like, they've been doing a great job, right? But our standard protest arsenal is not enough. It has not been working, and we need, we need to reevaluate what we're doing. It, it, it needs to expand, and we need to see a better understanding of what diversity of tactics means. I also think that on this particular issue, until fairly recently, our primary threat vector was non-state actors. Mm-hmm threatening yeah. physical violence. And so the community defense model is actually a very effective response to yeah. that threat and has been incredibly effective on numerous times. Now that we are looking at the threat coming from the state um, in terms of legislative, legislative action and all that stuff, it does open up a lot more tactical possibility like what you're talking about. Um, and that's cool. And people should realize that yeah, no, I think you're right. We should go back and look from the ground up and like come to new conclusions, new ideas. And, and I think I think the 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 other thing of of going back to sort of like basics, right? Is going going back to the kinds of go, going 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 back to changing how we think about the world around us so that we can actually so so that we can more effectively take action in it. The the other kind of thing that we need to do is social mapping. It's figuring out the resources that we have, the resources that they have, where they are, how they function, and this is something that Margaret, you've you've talked about in in your in in your thread about this, which is very good. Yeah, but what, one one of the things that we need to figure out very quickly is what skills do we have and what mm-hmm. resources do we have, and you know, and th- this this expands into a lot of into a lot of different sort of fields, right? Um, you know. There's the, the so, so some of this is sort of territorial, right? Like it, it's about thinking about like what kinds like what's physically what spaces are safe for us and which ones aren't and how can we sort of leverage the spaces that we have that are safe and, you know, maneuver in the ones that aren't. How is this changing? There's also something that I I, I, I want to sort of think about here, which is this old is this old tradition. Do you, do you, do you know what uh, workers inquiry is? I don't know. No. Okay, so th- this is this is a very old Marxist tradition. Um, it, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Like Marx was attempting, so the, the origin of this is Marx was trying to like send out surveys to like workers to figure out what their conditions were, mm-hmm. and people over time took this into more interesting directions. Of you know, but it, it, it turns into a kind of like like a workers' ethnography of you know workers sitting down and writing or doing interviews about. Just literally, like what what their workday is like, what the sort of like labor processes they're involved in are. How does how does that work? Like who like how do their bosses work? How how are they being managed? How are they resisting them? And you know, and you you there 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 are other things you can sort of use this for that are very useful to us. Which is, for example, figuring out things like what is the what does your local economy depend on? What what are the sort of important logistics lines? In that local economy, you know, who is physically doing the labor that the economy depends on? Who is doing the care labor? Because that's another side of this that gets sort of brushed over a lot. But for example, this 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 is a large part of why teachers are enormously powerful because teachers are doing a shit ton of care labor that is is necessary for the uh, necessary for the entire economy to function. 
but isn't really seen that way, right? And you know, and and you 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 can ask other questions like, you know, what 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 like literally, what are the physical conditions under which you and the people around you are working? A lot of this stuff's come to you, like person who works a job, right? Um, there there is an advantage that we have as people who do this stuff, which is that we 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 will understand the terrain of our own workplaces better than the people who are sitting at the at the top of the power structure because we're on the bottom of it, right? The people who are above us, and and and, th- and this this is another thing that that's important about this kind of transphobia is that it's it's very much an elite thing. This is I think especially noticeable in the UK where like you can literally track who is going to be a turf by like what kind of like elite schools they're going to. Okay. But, but, but like, like literally like if someone goes to eat, like, you know, it's like who goes to eat and right. Like this is, this is the thing it, this tracks who the ruling class is and who, and who is a turf and who's not going to be a turf. Right. And then, but this is, this is also true in the U S where like, I mean, again, if, if you look at the media people who are pushing this, it's a bunch of people sitting on like an unbelievable amount of trust fund money and getting a bunch of sort of right wing billionaire money. Yes. My experience has been that since Trump's election, the random folks around me have become substantially less favorable towards me. Um, and I think anti-trans stuff is is popular across class. But I, I don't know I, if that's... I think that's I think that's true, but I don't think it matters that much because mm-hmm. though like like the, the, the ordinary person in your neighborhood who has become transphobic isn't the person who has the capacity to get these laws passed. Okay, that's fair. And and the things that they know are not the things that the actual people running these campaigns know. Yeah, okay. And and that 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 I think is is what is sort of important about this is that like legislatures, right? Or like you know the 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 people who are funding who are funding these campaigns, the people who donate to these who donate literally literally donate to sort of political campaigns, right? These people do not understand what our jobs are. They don't understand what we do. They don't understand how the economy works very well. What the 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 version of reality that they can see is is a sort of bureaucratic image of it produced by their subordinates. And you know, there's a real problem with that, which is that a lot of the time, right? The the more powerful a person is, the more likely it is that the version of reality that they're getting is the version of reality that is just being told to them by the by, by the people below them. And, you know, and, and this this means that, like, the the, the the more powerful the people we're dealing with, the less capacity they actually have to understand this. This is true even with – for organizations that have, like, an enormous amount of raw intelligence that, you know, their sort of spy and surveillance networks have assembled, right? They're – you know, they, they have all this information, but they don't understand it, and, they, and they're sort of buried in trying to – like, trying and often failing to, to sort through all of the information that they have. Yeah, and they try and map it to their worldview. It's how you always end up with, like – we found the like. I have a friend who was investigated as the leader of international anarchism, and it yeah. took them a really, really long time before they were like, "I don't think that's a thing." <laughs> yeah, well, it's like they, they don't they don't understand how our networks work very well because yeah, yeah they they have stuff like that. But but this is also true, especially like on on the level of the workplace, right? Um, th- there is a bunch of stuff that we know that cannot be replicated by the people on the top of the org chart. And a lot of that stuff has to do with we know how to make things stop working in ways that they don't. Okay. And and that that is that 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 is very sort of useful information to have because if you know how something works, you can make it stop working. And and this is this is the sort of 
uh, you know, th- th- this is a lot of what the Marxist tradition sort of was, right? It was an attempt to understand like what workers are doing. The, the distinction I would make is they they were trying to figure out what workers are doing because they were trying to figure out how capitalism works, and I don't care about that enormously. Like that that's 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 not a thing that actually sort of like I don't know whatever I I don't I don't care about whatever esoteric value debates they were having. The distinction I would make here is that. You know, the Marxist version of this has this tendency to collapse knowledge production into just like incredibly bitter and minute debates about Marxism. We are not trying to do that. The thing we are trying to do with our version of this is stop a genocide, right? Our our version of inquiry means attack. And and when 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 when, when I say when when I'm talking about this kind of stuff, right? I'm talking about like you and f- like finding the other people in your workplace who are supportive of this stuff. And, you know, I mean, literally just on, on like a very, very basic level. And this is something that you, you get in union organizing, right? It's like just figuring out what the fuck they do because like management doesn't know what you do, right? Like I, 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 I have, I, I have worked in a lot of, of, of places. I have talked to managers a lot. They have no fucking idea what, what anyone is actually doing. And if, if you, if you can build up and this, this is, this is, you know, this is all going, this is all kind of abstract, but if, if, if you can figure out how your workplace works and you can figure out how the workplaces of the people around you work and how how the workplaces that like actually genuinely matter to the people who are doing this stuff you suddenly have you suddenly have leverage that you know that you know a, a sort of like traditional like protest thing doesn't and this means uh for better or for worse trying to get unions involved um, there are upsides and downsides here. The downside is that there just aren't that many unions and there aren't that many people in unions. I also just have like a, a middling faith in them. Yeah. They're caring not or working on it. I mean, yeah, I mean, some of them I'm sure the could, and, and I, I want to challenge all of them too. And if they do, I will eat my shoe, whatever the saying is. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's like, they're not going to do it unless they're forced to. Right. Well, but, I mean, the, th- th- depending on the. I think some unions do. Uh, now I'm like suddenly 180 and I mean like, don't yeah. talk shit on unions <laughs> like that. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, continue. Sorry. Well, okay. So the, the thing, the part of the, the the other reason that that I'm I'm focusing specifically on unions and I'm specifically I'm, I'm focusing a lot on workplace organizing stuff is that okay. One of the inherent problems of trans organizing is that trans people are not a large enough minority to enter the most sort of like cynical, like numerically deterministic counts of who matters enough to support. Right. Like not, we're. Uh, 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 not yet. <laughs> Not yet, right? But as as of right now, we're like maybe two percent of the population. Now oh, this will oh, change. It is it is, is growing. If the Zuber numbers continue, yeah, we're gonna be change, we're gonna right? be quite quite the problem. I remember marching with my my first boyfriend in this this bash back march where we're chanting one in ten is not enough recruit yeah. recruit and it's just funny because it's like based, based. it works yeah, there's rules. more of us now yeah um, yeah and this is and true, trans are problem, really good at recruiting the lgbt because any, literally you cannot think i'm cute and be heterosexual there's no way of making that happen true no this is like le- legit le- legitimately one of the reasons that i figured out that i wasn't like a cishet straight dude was I was dating a non-binary person and I was like shit okay so uh-oh, something's yeah. happening uh-oh. like yeah. it's <laughs> um there are places where trans people are like enormously overrepresented right and and, and 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 there are places where we exist in numbers enough that we actually statistically matter and unions are one of those places okay because 
the, the people the people who are organizing unions like trans people are so unbelievably fucking overrepresented in all of that stuff and, and this is this is as much true of i mean okay so th- th- this this is true really especially of, of, of any kind of sort of new unionism like particularly things like grad student unions right but it's also true of like like all all of the fucking service sector unions that are getting organized and this has been true for like 20 years all of the people organizing that whether they realize it or not are trans and you know th- but this this means that we actually have leverage there right because th- this is this is a part of the economy where if we stop doing our job shit will actually fall apart right like you know a- actual sort of large scale union campaigns like cannot work without us and that means that we we actually we have the ability to pressure them into doing shit in a way that's not necessarily true and, and uh, th- th- i i'm talking here like specifically about like you the listener who is trans which is like statistically statistically like you the listener is not trans if you are congratulations um if you're not I, I i also suspect they are slightly overrepresented in oh, de- definitely overrepresented. still probably not a majority um, yes I, I guess i like i i also want to say that like um i mean it's funny because the way to define cis allyship is literally just if you're willing to call yourself cis you know yeah it's like not actually a slur <laughs> it's just a description it's just a you know like the the not trans word right and it's not bad at all yeah um and now that that's a battleground word it's like pronouns and profile or whatever you know it's like it's actually fairly easy to um make it clear where you stand on this kind of issue um and i i will say i mean obviously trans people do a lot of this organizing but i think that we have a lot an awful lot of cis people with us and so you the cis listener we also fucking love and respect you because if you've made it into yeah. an hour of us talking about how much this matters it clearly matters to you too you know yeah well, this is probably hour like three or whatever the fuck and both episodes <laughs> and soon you won't be allowed to wear pants if you're afab so you know it's this is gonna hit everyone yeah yeah and i think you know all of the stuff that i've been saying right about you know and, and, and like another part of this also is is literally just like a thing that you can do that is organizing that will help in this stuff is literally just talking to your friends, yeah, and being like, "Hey, here's my eight friends, or whatever. Here are things. How do you feel about this? You know, and then and then and then try and then you know using using this kind of stuff, using this kind of mapping stuff, and you know y- using using what you can learn about how. You know, this 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 part of it has been kind of abstract, but I I I, I think intentionally so. It's like we 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 are we are in a place where we need to very rapidly build up capacity for a kind of movements that can actually do things, and I th- I think this is this this is sort of like the planning phase for that. Yeah, that tracks. Is yeah, and but you know, like th- th- these these are things that are going to have to be created very quickly. These we are we are going to have to very quickly figure out you know what 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 levers can be like pushed right and what one of the things about like the, the 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 first bathroom bill in north carolina right it didn't get repealed but it got like amended to be slightly less bad yeah and it got amended to be, to be slightly less bad because the state very quickly ran into trouble with a bunch of corporations who were like you know because in the initial push that they were like we're, we're like okay we're gonna we're gonna pull out of events in this state we're gonna pull out of like backing your giant like we're gonna pull yeah. out of having our giant like fucking sports tournaments here we're gonna pull out of like 
advertising for like retail stuff and that and that got them to, to, to sort of like run away very very quickly right and that's been the one big thing they've been actually scared of and i think this is part of why they've been pushing the sort of like woke, woke corporation like anti-disney stuff so hard is that like the kind of backlash that can very quickly get these people to flip is the kind of backlash that starts actually hurting if these kinds of bills start hurting their bottom line these a lot of these people will flip because a lot of a lot of even the legislators who are voting for this aren't as hardline as the sort of like daily wire people and and if if their campaign funders are like hey you got to fucking turn this around so the economy can go back to normal like they 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 will flip on this stuff Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special mom in your life. And what better way than with the Osea's limited edition skincare sets, featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited edition sets that are perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their advanced eye care duo brightens, awakens, and firms the skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths the skin all over. Both sets are packaged in giftable boxes. They're so beautiful you can skip the wrapping. And the best part? For a limited time, you can save up to $46 on Osea's sets. Plus, get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. This Mother's Day, get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. Go to OseaMalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off site-wide. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, this stuff I was talking about is about things that you can do to begin to mount pressure campaigns and mount direct actions. I also wanted to talk about sort of like just survival network stuff because that also was going to be a part of this. And yeah, Margaret, you had a lot of very, very good stuff in a thread that you wrote about this. Yeah. 
I wrote a thread a, a week or so ago uh, about all this stuff as I woke up and doom scrolled for a while and and you know and I was just thinking a lot back on on the organizing that I know people are doing and stuff like that and trying to put things together and and so some of it's just kind of like tips right um, and I want to say uh, like again well again to the thread not to something I've said here. Um, I think that we need to focus on what unites us and not what divides us right now. I think that this is not a time um, for uh, public-facing internal conflict. It is not a time for um, interpersonal conflict to um, be aired publicly. Um, I'm not to say that interpersonal conflict doesn't matter. It does matter. We need to, you know, I, I believe mediation is actually one of the most important skills, actually, frankly, li- literally, if you're listening and you have any mediation skills, I think it is the thing that the revolution needs more than anything else off the top of my head. Um, but overall, um, basically there's something that MC soul said, uh, I don't know if it was on a podcast, might've been Twitter a long time ago. And it's really stuck in my head, which is that we need to focus on, we need to deescalate all conflict that isn't with the enemy. Which isn't to say that the conflict doesn't happen. It's that we need to look how to de-escalate it and bring it down in in pressure, except when it's with the enemy. Like with someone who's trying to murder all the trans people or someone who's like a white nationalist or whatever, right? We are not looking to de-escalate that conflict. We are probably looking to escalate that conflict. We are looking to make it very clear the way in which we are not that person. But, um, and I'm as guilty of this as anyone else. I have a lot of pet peeves that people who listen to my show are very aware of. Um, also, this fight will happen on multiple fronts using multiple tactics. There's this magical phrase, diversity of tactics, and we have to mean it. And diversity of tactics usually means like, kind of like, no, you should support my tactic. Like, especially if you're like, tactic is like riots or something, you know, you often say diversity of tactics. And what you really mean is like, my shit rules and your shit sucks. We actually have to straight up mean it. We need to support the people who are focused in legislative action. Even though it's not where we are strong, it is a place that is needs to be shored up. We need to focus, we need to support the people who focus on community defense. We need to focus. We need to support the people who are doing illegal things. We need to support the people who are doing organizing in all kinds of different ways. And if we build organizations that accept diversity of tactics and don't expect to have a sort of hegemony over the movement, um, we can create a very strong movement. Uh, most of my personal infighting is with people who do want to have hegemony over a movement. Um, and so you get, I fall into this like trap where I'm like, how do we fucking... Anyway, whatever. Okay. Um, Other things that people can do. If you are not visibly LGBT and you feel like it is safe to do so, or you feel like it is dangerous to do so, and you're willing to be a little bit fucking dangerous because we are in complicated fucking times, be publicly clear that you support LGBT, LGBT, uh, whatever, us. And like the day that I wrote this. The queers. Yeah, support the queers. Like the day that I wrote this, I live in, you know, I, I live in West Virginia. I go to Lowe's and, you know, I'm having a bad day. I'm like, fuck, I'm in like, you know, at what point is it going to be a crime for me to go to Lowe's, right? And the, like, guy, just the fucking metalhead guy who seemed kind of, like, super masculine metal guy, tattoos, and he had his fucking, like, trans ally support pin on. And if we were in, like, a big major city, it might have almost seemed, like, cringy because it said, like, ally or whatever on it, right? And I'm fucking over worrying about what's cringy. I'm, like... No, thank you. I I, I went up and I, I I thanked him, right? Because it like fucking helped my day. Um, and that kind of shit is going to matter because it is now actually a fairly dangerous thing in some places 
to be visibly uh, in support of us. And I absolutely appreciate the people who are doing it. Um, and uh, another thing that we need to support, this is the kind of thing that you've talked a little bit about, is that, okay, we need to have support networks. We need to have networks that are protecting trans people, um, families that are leaving environments. There's so many families that want to leave these states where they, their child is no longer safe, will be forced to detransition, will not be allowed to transition. There are trans parents in Florida who might be at risk of losing their children, all of these things. People are going to want to move. We need to support people materially who are trying to move. And there will be organizations that are doing this. If they don't exist yet, you can start them. And if you wait for them to start, that's also sometimes okay. If your plate is full, you can support those organizations um, in a lot of different ways. We can also support and not shame people who choose to live in red states. As a like a, as a red state trans person, I I think about this a lot about like because like I'm not planning on moving, right? Um, you know, it helps that I'm an adult. I'm like settled, whatever, like my mental health is strong, um, you know, but I'm not planning on going anywhere. And that's why we can't give up these spaces, right? I think that one of the things I kind of mentioned earlier, but is that like, we're not in normal times. We need to take this seriously. We also need to, to not assume that all of this is a foregone conclusion. Uh, we need to not assume that this will go down like Nazi Germany. However, we need to be aware that it might. And we need everyone. And this is not a trans people thing. This is an everyone thing. We need to think about what that actually means. You know, there's that cliche that is true right now. That is like, if you want to know what you have been doing in, in Germany in 1933, it's what you're doing right now. And like, that's true. This is a time for us to be the kind of person that we want to be. We are in dangerous and complicated times and it is times that we need to be brave and we need to be brave for each other. Bravery is not the absence of fear. Bravery is doing things despite fear. Bravery is the presence of courage, not the lack of awareness that things are scary and bad. Um, yes. And that's kind of like my main thing is I want us to not panic, right? Um, to not assume that we're going to lose uh, to realize that they are acting this way because they are on their back foot. Um, this was always going to happen in the fact that, in a way, we kind of started this fight by like existing and like coming out of the closet and shit. But we basically were like, no, we're allowed to be here. And most people were like, yeah, okay, I guess that tracks. I guess you're allowed to be here. And then some small portion were like, these are demons from hell sent to rip yeah. the tits off of the children I'd like to no, marry. Yeah. Um, the freaks like Matt Walsh are the ones who declared, quote unquote, war on trans people. Right. Because we were coming for their way of life, not their way of life in terms of like heterosexual marriage. That gets to still exist. That's fine. Like, but compulsory heterosexuality and compulsory cissexuality um, is the thing that we are coming for. And their way of life is hegemony. Their way of life is being the only force of power. And so, yeah, I guess the other stuff uh, is that we just, okay, what would you do in Nazi Germany? That's what you're doing right now. And you should think about what skills you have and how they apply to different things. Um, and then the kind of final point to a lot of this is uh, as a specific issue and it's a pet issue of mine and I could be completely wrong. I have a lot of bias about this, but I would 
fucking love it if liberals would shut the fuck up about guns right now. Um, I It is very hard for me to find a state that is not either in the process of trying to tell me that I can't wear a dress or find a state that is trying to tell me that I can't carry the means to protect myself from the violent bigots who want to kill me because I wear a dress. It is incredibly hard to find states that are not pushing in one of those directions or another. And it is embarrassing. It is embarrassing that this of all times is the time that liberals are focusing so hard on gun issues, which is a culture war bullshit thing for them. They don't fucking care. They didn't fucking care about abortion. They just want your fucking votes. Um, And we are probably entering a very bad and hard time. However, we can do it. We have done it in the past. Uh, In my reading of history, it basically is this cycle. I kind of don't quite believe in like a forward progress. Everything gets better. Um, Things ebb and flow. And however, we will survive this. Not necessarily all of us as individuals. Probably, probably there won't be like large numbers of killings as a result of this, but it is possible, right? Um, But they, it is impossible to stamp out homosexuality. It is impossible to stamp out transsexuality. Um, We have always been here. We will always be here. And so, yeah, uh, to to, to quote my final quote in that particular thread, I definitely went off thread, but um, we need to find each other. We need to stop fighting with each other about bullshit. We need to defend each other. We need to be brave. And then... um, (laughs) Uh, I, I, I will cite the anarchist prayer, which is that I ask not to be safe from my enemies, but dangerous to them. Because, all right, this is what we're fucking doing. And like, w- we all want to be safe, but that's not something that we're guaranteed. What we are guaranteed is that we can choose how to handle the situation that we're in. And then, almost done, almost done. You talked earlier about what we owe the owe the dead. I really liked your way of phrasing that. I really liked a lot of what you were talking about, about all of that. Um, and one thing that I think about, we're talking about like the Catholic Church and shit, right? Um, one thing that I owe the dead is I owe Sister Dominic, a Catholic nun, um, to not fucking go back into the closet. Uh, because when my cousin came out as trans, this woman who is literally married to God, she died a couple years ago, um, maybe 10 years ago now, before I came out, um, but my cousin came out before me because it's a contagion. No, because we were always fucking trans. And she was completely supportive, completely and immediately in my like, you know, and just this is a woman who dedicated her entire life to, uh, well, to God and saw literally no problem, was the most immediately accepting person, immediately said, you know, I bet she's always felt that way. And so I, I, I personally owe it to her to tell these Catholics to shut the fuck up (laughs) because fucking Jesus' wife says it's fine. Fuck you. That's what I got. (laughs) Thank thank you, Margaret. Yeah. Uh, That was fantastic. Where can can people find you and some of your other work across the uh across the web yeah um i just finished a four-part series on stonewall and the stuff that came before stonewall the riots that kind of brought us this movement and how it was all different types of queers and even some het people working together to 
bring us as far as we've gotten. Um, and you can find that on my podcast, Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff. It's with It Could Happen Here host Shireen as my guest. Um, and you can also find me talking about the end of the world on Live Like the World is Dying as another podcast that I'm a co-host of. Um, and my most recent book is called Escape from Incel Island. And it is not nonfiction. It is not something about how people should get better. It's literally about someone with a shotgun who lands on an island full of incels and has to get out alive. Fantastic. Well, thank you for uh, listening through all the way. If you are still here, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you've uh, learned something interesting across these uh, these these two pretty pretty heavy episodes. We will we will see you on the other side. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts what up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. This is a show for the Nosabo kids, the, the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth, issues affecting the Latin community, and much more. Then every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community. Listen to Life as a Gringo on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.